welcome to Racecast UK podcast episode one. My name's Stephen Tower. I'm joined by my co-host and co-presenter, Aaron Northfield. How you doing, mate? All right, mate. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. How's your week been? Yeah, all right. As we all know, coronavirus has uh, been playing pandemic here, there and everywhere, but I'm still alive, still breathing, so I can't complain too much. How about yourself? Yes, very good, actually. Yeah, very good. A huge, huge news week for the coronavirus and motorsport in general and everything. So, yeah, it's been a, been a busy week. So this podcast is just a joint venture between Aaron and myself. We're huge, huge motorsport enthusiasts. So we thought we'd just get this going, interact with you guys and girls on social media and the website as well. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Should be really, really good. Yeah. So uh, you can hit us up on Twitter, which is at Racecast UK, and Instagram, which is Racecast UK, and there's a Facebook page as well, which is Racecast UK, and the website, you guessed it, is Racecast UK, well, Racecast.uk. So, Australian Grand Prix. Yes. <clears throat> Bit of an interesting one, wasn't it? Definitely, definitely, yeah. It's, um, I was sitting there, I think it was Thursday night, I think I was talking to yourself and loads of other people as well, I'm just watching... Just watching the news coming out, it was changing, changing by the minute. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think McLaren's domino effect had a massive knock-on with how that weekend was going to pan out from the start. I mean, on the Thursday, I think it was, me and you were discussing, and I, I pretty much said to you at the time, didn't I, that, that this will have an impact and it wouldn't surprise me if the event got cancelled. And, you know, lo and behold, it, it did. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I think uh, certainly from from our side here, we'd like to wish wish the members of the McLaren McLaren team that have been sort of diagnosed with the with the virus and anybody else in the motorsport community that's been affected. Yeah, definitely. Um, if, there's there's not really much to add on that, really, is there? I mean, it is a massive shame, um, but at the same time, people's health, safety, you know, well being is more is more important ultimately, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Do you think it was handled correctly? Um. Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that they came to the right decision, in the sense of not letting the weekend go ahead, causing potential, you know, healthcare issues for those people attending the circuit. But no, on this, in the sense that it took them so long to get to the conclusion of cancelling the event. I mean, there were people queuing at the gates because it was only a couple of hours before FP1. Bear in mind, there were literally people queued at the gates waiting to enter the circuit, and they had to be turned away. Now, there there is an argument to say that it could have been dealt with, you know, earlier in the sense of you look at other other um, other areas of sport within the UK, US, Canada, wherever events were being called off before, you know, the the weekend had started. So maybe Formula One, FIA could have taken a note from that and just maybe I, I don't know, just. Being a little bit more proactive instead of letting it go ahead, waiting for all the teams to set up, you know, get all the gear going and then all of a sudden click game over. Um, I think it's a shame, but yeah, definitely the right call. Yeah, I think you're right there. I saw uh, there was a Sky Sports hour-long uh, YouTube video where there was um, Simon Lazenby, Jensen Button, Martin Brundle, and um, Craig Slater, and they were just discussing, you know, whether it was the right thing or the wrong thing. And so Martin Brundle made a very, very good point. He said, you know, I I don't regret coming out here, but it certainly could have been handled better from a from a media perspective. But oh, yeah. and again, there's so many there's so many contracts. There's contracts with the circuit. There's contracts with the suppliers and the catering and and everything like that, and the actual Victoria um, region. So yeah, it's a lot more complicated than I think we actually appreciate. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, on the Thursday night, Friday coming into Friday, I was looking at Twitter, and some of the people going, you know, it, it's it's 
a shambles. It's disgraceful. It's this, it's that, it's the other. I don't think people actually realise the, the scale of these, you know, events in terms of how many different suppliers you got involved, how much there is to actually bring these people together. And for the FIA and Formula One themselves, they can't just click the fingers and switch the event off. They have to go through multiple channels, get all the right, you know, approvals in place through the circuit, through the governing body. You know, it, it is more than just we don't want the event to go ahead. Let's cancel it and everyone pack up and go. So from that perspective, yeah, it, it, that that's the reason pretty much it took as long as it did. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what uh, what the listeners think of that. So if you want to hit us up on the social media channels, it'd be very, very interesting to see whether you guys think it was handled correctly or not. I mean, I know there was there was other motorsport events that were cancelled as well, wasn't there? There was uh, Formula E's been postponed for yeah. two months. There's super bikes as well. And there was a couple of races in the US as well. I think there was a NASCAR race. Yeah, uh, also Formula postponed 2 and well. Formula 3 as well. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's a real shame that the season hasn't got hasn't got to you know started but as you say health and safety of everyone is, is paramount isn't it yeah of course so in looking at the uh start date for the season i mean i think that's sort of almost moving by the hour as well isn't it they latest rumors are that it's gonna not gonna start until june yeah i did read that yesterday um so yeah the bahrain grand prix uh was obviously scheduled to be behind closed doors with no spectators china was cancelled before australia wasn't it but they're now talking about uh no spain no monaco no yeah. grand prix which is going to be a huge shame because it's the you know it's the first time it's come back for for many many years uh potentially starting in baku in june and i know ross braun has come out and said that to get rid of the summer break and then just shift the season on by a couple of weeks yeah, I mean, it would be a massive shame, especially for those two new events, Vietnam and the um, Dutch Grand Prix. You Obviously know, Vietnam, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, these two circuits have put a lot of effort and resource into getting these circuits up and running with the correct facilities, making it as spectacular as possible with the banking at, at the Dutch Grand Prix and some of the twisty, turny corners you see at the Vietnam circuit. And it would be a massive shame if that was to all just come, you know, crashing down and those events be cancelled indefinitely. I really hope that Formula One and the FIA do manage to get those rescheduled within that summer break, providing that the season does start the end of May, beginning of June, as we're led to believe. But, you know, we've touched on it a couple of times, but health and safety is paramount. At the end of the day, if it doesn't go ahead, it doesn't go ahead. But, uh, you know, such a shame. Yeah, I was talking to a few friends of mine earlier and they were just discussing the logistics around, say, for example, the Spanish Grand Prix, which is, which is May time. If that's then moved, say, July, August, for example, to try and fit it in, the extra costs for the spectators in terms of travel, if there is still, if there is planes going out to Spain by that time, because I know they've been, um, they've been stopped this week, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, the ex- extra cost on the hotels, is that going to put people off? Are they going to start asking for refunds? Or are they just not even going to go because it just won't fit in? Uh, yeah, I, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. Um, I don't know. It's, I mean, the Spanish Grand Prix is meant to take place in May. So is Monaco. So's you know, a handful of others between now and then. Whether fans would be willing to wait and whether you could just do a swap on tickets, I, I don't know. But I think the logistics of it needs to be sorted sooner rather than later and get those schedules confirmed. Now, it is difficult, understandably, because we don't know the, the scale of how long these lockdowns and things are going to last. But you need, I think there needs to be more done to get something provisional in place so you can at least make people aware. So if you were planning to go to the Spanish Grand Prix, as an example, 
you at least know provisional date as when that will due to you know be rescheduled for um the one thing i can see is if it's left to later down the line you know these circuits dutch vietnam spain monaco you probably won't get the turnout that you were expecting because people may have other plans i don't know but i can just imagine it being a little bit of a farce yeah i mean it's been um such an unusual start stop to the season because normally there's a you know massive build-up before the australian grand prix everybody's pumped and now australian grand prix is not going ahead and then potentially all these other races are not going ahead as well it's kind of uncharted territory for formula one and for liberty media so it's gonna be interesting to see how they handle it yeah no i agree um yeah, so mo- moving away from this because it's quite a somber topic. Yes, um, let's, get, let's get let's get some cheeriness into the yeah, episode one. Hundred percent. So, yeah, Ferrari's FIA engine settlement. What are your thoughts? Um, it's it's really difficult, isn't it? Obviously, because we don't know all the facts. Um, but again, handled in a particularly bad way because they could have sent letters to all the teams. Again, the teams may have been very upset with the private agreement that they've got but the fact they didn't the teams heard it from the media first before getting a letter through i think was very badly handled because it looks like they've just come to uh, like a private agreement and just kind of sort of swept it under the carpet really yeah no i completely agree i mean there are a couple of teams as we know looking to protest against that um engine settlement agreement with the fia and ferrari but from what we were reading yesterday and today, Mercedes looked like they potentially have withdrawn their, you know, um, the protest. Withdraw- yeah, 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 withdrawn the protest or their intent to to protest. Um, there was rumor that Mercedes chief or rather Daimler CEO and Ferrari CEO got together and discussed it. And on the back of that discussion, that Mercedes had stepped away. How true that is, we don't know. But it does seem that news is in the pipeline is. Mercedes are looking to take a step back from it, but then that begs the question of will the engine suppliers, uh, sorry, will the will the supplied teams by Mercedes also pull out? It's difficult to know, isn't it? Because from from what I can read in terms of the actual agreement that they've come to, it's they couldn't the FIA couldn't prove whether the engine was illegal or illegal. Illegal. Um, so I think it was something to do with, with the with the fuel flow and in terms of actually measuring that fuel flow and censoring that fuel flow. Um, so I think the fact that the season's been delayed, I think it's probably going to be kind of forgotten about and not swept under the carpet, but just as more important things to think about. And I think they're probably just going to withdraw their protests maybe from the other teams and just kind of forget about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, f- the thing that I always think about when I when I hear about this is now that the news has come out to say that you know Ferrari have reached an agreement with the FIA, it's only ever really going to be in Mercedes' interest to withdraw because they finished ahead of Ferrari in the championship last year. Whereas the likes of your Red Bulls, your, your Honda power teams, your Renault power teams, you'd imagine they'd be more inclined to protest because they may find a constructor benefit from it. Whereas for Mercedes, all right, the supply teams might find something, but them as a supplier and as a constructor themselves. There's not really much interest, I wouldn't have thought, in them actually cracking on with it because what have they got to gain from it other than pushing Ferrari further down the pecking order? Makes no difference to Mercedes in terms of what they get constructed money wise and um, you know bonuses, this, that, the other. So I, I can understand why they would want to make that decision. Um, but yeah, no, I think it'd be interesting to see what the stance would be from the supply teams. I, you know, you like to see your racing point and. Um, uh, what other teams are supplied by Mercedes? I think it's uh, 
Williams. Uh, Williams. Oh, sorry, yeah, Williams, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, your racing point in your Williams, what they what their stance would be on it. I did see someone bring up a very, very interesting point on Twitter yesterday regarding the um, sort of kind of going, I don't want to talk too much about the coronavirus, but kind of going back to that and engine development because the teams aren't now racing to potentially June. Are they then going to split their development team time between 2020 and 2021 or will this give them potentially the chance to, for example, um, get a DAS system that's similar to what Mercedes have got are they going to work on this year's car, or are they, or are they going to move to next year's car? Again, uh, an interesting one, but it wouldn't surprise me if during this period of quietness they do shift their attention to 2021 slightly. With the season starting later, less constructors' points being on the table, it's going to be a more bunched-up feel come the end of the season because we haven't got as many races, meaning there's not as much points, which means close competition, which is what everyone wants. You don't want a constructor getting three three races, four races before the end of the season and knowing that they've won outright. You want it to go down to the wire like we've seen in previous seasons, 2012, 2013. Sorry, maybe not 2013, but 2012 being the example. Um, yeah, so coming back to your question, I do see them shifting the attention to 2021 sooner. Um, I can't really see much R&D going on with the cars at the minute because other than what was done at testing, there's no track time. And ultimately what you do in your R&D and what you do in your wind tunnel doesn't always correlate to what happens on track. So I don't think a lot of teams would want to take that risk and, and, you know, overdevelop and then having to unpick it if it goes a bit messed up, like we saw Williams last year. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'm really, really trying hard not to talk about the coronavirus and the impact on the season, but it's really, really hard not to keep kind of going back to that point, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, they, they go hand in hand together, don't they, without the coronavirus season be running well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And someone did, there was someone mentioned a rumour that 2021 rules will be pushed back to 2022. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, I, okay. I, read, I, I can't remember exactly where I read that, but that was a potential um, potential rumour around what they're going to do for sort of the rest of the season. So, Yeah, I mean, I, I, I personally can't see it changing um, in the sense of the 2021 cars being pushed up back. Cause then what do you do? Do you just run your 2020 car into 2021 and just develop, yeah. continue to develop it? Because um, you'd have to think of a whole new set of rules, and t- not in, not in rules as such, but just tweaks the rules as we've seen between you know 2017 and 2018. Sorry, 2018 to 2019 with the front wing. You'd have to think of variables so you don't get the likes of your Mercedes and your Ferrari just running off into the distance and leaving everyone else on a lower budget behind. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a difficult difficult thing to do, isn't it? So you mentioned uh, testing there. What were your uh, thoughts on testing? I believe that you attended a testing with uh, somebody else. Oh, yes. I, yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed testing. Um, I do think the teams were sandbagging. I don't think we saw any, you know, any miraculous speed times being set. I mean, yeah, for, the, the Ferrari looks good. The Williams looks good. It looks better, should we say. I mean, I don't think you can really go much worse than last year's car. No offence to Williams there, but, you know, they, yeah. I mean, there, there are a handful of teams on that grid that I saw in testing that look really good. The cars look stable. Um, even the Alfa Romeo, I mean, the Alfa, I really like the look of it. Same with the Alfa Tori, really like yeah. the look of it. Um, I do think it'll be a closer midfield, and I'd really like to see Williams coming into the mix and Haas coming back in as well with, you know, disastrous season they had last year as well. But I do think that, that midfield will be more tight. I think the top three will still run away into the distance. Um, I'd like to see Renault closer, and I'd like to see McLaren closer, but I think reality will be their focus will be 2021, and they'll just use this this year more as a... 
a building a building year should we say yeah, I mean, I've really, really enjoyed testing it, and I've watched it on Twitter, and I've watched it on Sky Sports before, but I was just astounded by the amount of running that the teams do, because they yeah. have the morning session, then they break for lunch, don't they, then they have the afternoon session, three days the first week, three days the second week, and I was just astounded by they're just pounding round and pounding round, but different fuel loads, different tyre specifications, different wing angles, it's really, really difficult, isn't it, to be able to gauge where where the pecking order is. I don't think anybody from the midfield is going to be able to breach the top three. I think the top three will still be Mercedes, Red Bull and Ferrari. Um, but I think it's going to be potentially a bit more closer in the midfield. And I really, really hope that Williams can have a better season than last year because they've got absolutely fantastic heritage in the sport. So much history that I really, really don't want them to have a season like they had last year. Just getting the one point and literally you know, finishing 17th, 18th, one or two laps down. It was a bit of a disaster, wasn't it? Yeah, it is a massive shame. I mean, as you touched on this, a, a team like Williams with the heritage they have, you know, winning multiple champions, drivers and constructors, to then be sitting last on the grid most races, it is a massive shame. And I just hope that they can turn those events around. Now, this comes back to what I was saying um, before about 2021. Will, will Williams just use this more of a stabilisation year, shift all focus to 2021? I mean, they've got nothing really to lose. They're not going to catch up to the front of the midfield. I mean, we've seen historically that to catch up when you're right down the back of the field is very, very hard. And usually it takes a couple of seasons. It's not just a one-season job. As much as I'd love to see it, I I don't think it's realistic. So it wouldn't surprise me if Williams shift all their attention and resource come maybe July, August 2, 2021 and just run that car off. Um, I think that's their best sort of way of being competitive again is just to shift focus into new regulations forget what's happened over these past two years and just move on yeah i can see almost Haas kind of doing the same thing as well because they've obviously they started really really well when they first came into the sport and they've sort of started to drop down the constructor order and obviously last year they had so many issues Grosjean moving back to the Melbourne spec car the drivers hitting each other and a lot of it is well i think pretty much most of it is gene Haas's own money i think a rumoured figure of about 100 million so yeah. they've really really got to start sort of getting some really really good results for them otherwise Gene Haas potentially pull a plug yeah it wouldn't surprise me I mean one of the things I was quite shocked at was that they kept the same driver lineup now that's no offence to the existing driver because I do rate both Grosjean and Magnussen very well but given the fireworks we saw last year between them especially at Silverstone coming together I would have thought that they would have liked a bit of stabilisation with, within the team, maybe looking at the likes of Nico Hulkenberg. But as we know, that decision with Renault for Hulkenberg was made quite late in the season. It wasn't set in stone early on. Um, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I, I rate both both Kevin and, and Roman, um, but I, I just, just, I'm just not sure about Grosjean. Just, he must have something on the team or some extra sponsorship or something like that because he has been not as good as Kevin uh, over the, yeah, last, over the last couple of years. I think it's money. It's got to be money. I mean, we know that there's a couple of pay drivers in Formula One. Now, that's not to say Grosjean is, but I do think that there is an element to him staying at Haas that is money-driven in the sense of he's got probably some kind of backing from a French government or a French sponsorship or something like that that brings to the team. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in two minds about it. Whether... whether has to stick with the same driver lineup going forward after this year. I don't know. Um, as we know, contracts you know come and go. Just because you've got a contract for next year doesn't mean anything. I mean, the the 
the latest example I've got of that was what we were funnily enough talking about yesterday was the Guido van der Gaard saga at Australia 2015-2016 where where, uh, the Sauber team had three drivers signed up for the one car and that became an absolute shambles. Um, That's not to say that we'll get anything like that again going forward because I I don't think there will be something like that. But my, my, my point here is if they have another season where the drivers are coming together, there's problems here, there and everywhere and the the, they aren't performing to the level they should be. It wouldn't surprise me if they'd been one of them off or both. Yeah, I mean contracts generally, I'd say 85, 90% are are good in Formula One. But as we've seen in the past, like with Kimi Raikkonen, when he wanted to get out of his contract with uh, with Ferrari, he basically just got paid to not do very much for a year and just do a bit of rallying. Yeah, <laughs> um, we're talking about here that the. the Kimi Raikkonen's contract from 2009. We're not talking about you know his what his one where he's recently left Ferrari. Just to clarify to any uh, listeners. Yeah, it's um, previous stint. So your predictions for the season ahead. What ooh, do you think? Uh, I'm gonna go Mercedes winning the constructors and drivers. Red Bull finishing second. Ferrari third. Um, I think Ferrari potentially have a couple of cards under the sleeve that they haven't shown at winter test. And I think Mattia Bonato coming out and going, oh, you know, we're, we're well off the pace. We're not going to be here. We're not going to be competing. I think there's a little bit of a lie to that. I don't think Ferrari is showing the true hand at all. But I think in terms of consistency, you drive a lineup. Mercedes with uh, Lewis and Valtteri, I think that's the most stable lineup. Um, followed closely by Red Bull with Verstappen and Albon. Again, a brilliant lineup. Ferrari's lineup is phenomenal, but I just think there's a little bit of chaos brewing there somewhere. I mean, we saw Brazil, two drivers coming together. Wouldn't surprise me if we saw a couple of fireworks again this season. Again, that's not me playing down the drivers at all, but they're both so eager to win. And they're so, I mean, vested in Ferrari that I can just see something happening that will be detrimental to their seasons. Yeah, I mean, I can, I, I would certainly sort of from my side i think probably mercedes is gonna probably win the drivers and constructors championship again followed much closer i think this year than last year with red bull and then ferrari probably in third i mean sort of going back to drivers just wanting to compete have you seen um, drive to survive on netflix season two yeah completed it all within a day (laughs) yeah it was pretty pretty good wasn't it i don't know if uh, any of the listeners have uh, seen any episodes but episode two is definitely worth watching it's the episode that focuses on haas and their sort of journey through the season and their competition between the two drivers and they just seem 100 percent focused on literally just being in front of the other driver and not really caring about anything else yeah it was an interesting uh, insight into the stresses and strains of of the of Formula One teams and drivers. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the, the 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 series as a whole is brilliant. I, I've never watched something like that before, where you get such insight from Formula One. I think Netflix have done a brilliant job to bring us two seasons so far, with you know some insights that we never saw. I mean, if you t- touching back on what we were saying before about Williams's car being so bad last year, I mean, there there's a couple of touch points in there with Paddy Lowe and you know the design and you know the schedule and behind winter test and that last year was a disaster him being a little bit sheepish in the Williams garage you know when he when he said hello to Claire Williams and there was not really much of a vibe I was really um, surpri- really surprised about that because they yeah, I was, I was. Sort, sort of the the insinuation was there's something wrong with the car and he kind of come out and said I don't know what's wrong 
Yeah. I, I thought to myself, you know, being the being the technical director, okay, if you're the guy who's in charge of tires, you're not gonna know you're not gonna know what's wrong with the rear wing or the engine or the cooling system or anything like that. But being a technical guy, you should have overall breadth of everything that's going on with the car. Yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, that's uh, if uh, if you haven't watched uh, Drive to Survive on Netflix, I'd I'd recommend checking out season one first and follow with season two. It's really 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 fantastic viewing. Yeah. So news coming out late yesterday, early this morning, that Ferrari have stopped production in their road car factory and F1 for two weeks for the coronavirus. Um, again, I don't want to talk too much about the coronavirus, but that's an interesting development. Uh, obviously, being in northern Italy has been heavily impacted. I don't think that's going to have too much impact on their Formula One production. Um, and obviously, their car production is they don't bang out cars like Ford and Vauxhall and people like that do. So I'm not sure how much of an impact it's going to have, but interesting development. Yeah, um, for them to have closed shop on the road car side, you know, you understand it, health and safety, all that that we've already discussed. But on the Formula One side, to have completely, you know, shut shop, I'm a little bit shocked by that, if that is true. Um, Just because, as as we know, the rate of development in Formula One is so quick, you don't want to give any gaps away. I mean, you, you touched on before about, you know, giving the other teams the ability to potentially catch up and build their own DAS you know, system for when the season resumes. If those sorts of systems are legal, I would, I, I don't know. I'm just a bit shocked that they would cancel or, or rather postpone development within the Formula One, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Factory. Uh, yeah, just within the factory, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Um, it's just got to be health and safety precautions, isn't it? And if the government's basically, the Italian government has said, you know to people to lock pretty much self-isolate and lock themselves away then they've got to take heed to that haven't they so yeah Go, touching back or going back to our previous point about cancelled races i thought i'd pull out a little bit of a segment we'd like some uh we're going to do some segments if we can on each episode but we'd love to have any ideas you've got for any segments going forward so hit us up on the social medias but this is five times that previous races have been cancelled so the 2011 bahrain grand prix which is going to be the season opener that was cancelled due to there was a lot of protests and a lot of anti-government protests that were brewing around that time um so the this sort of situation within the Middle East was really, really tense. So the uh, organisers decided to actually postpone that. And the 1999 Chinese Grand Prix uh, was due to go ahead. Um, and this uh, circuit was designed and built and was provisionally added to the 99 F1 Championship Grand Prix. But the track failed to meet standards set by the FIA. So they basically wouldn't allow it to go ahead. Uh, then obviously they then decided to build the circuit in Shanghai, which then debuted in 2004. So that's quite interesting. I wasn't actually aware of that. The 1999 Argentine Grand Prix, there was basically a recession in Argentina around that time. So there was a lack of financial funds from the government and the local circuit organisers. So they failed to come to an agreement with the FIA and the race wasn't financially viable. Uh, so they basically canned that. Estrial 1997, they were due to upgrade the circuit uh, to bring it up to FIA standard, but basically they didn't have enough money or they didn't want to do it or it wasn't done in time. So the safety changes uh, that were due to be made didn't appear. So they decided not to host the race. And South Africa 1981, that was due to be the season opener uh, like the Bahrain Grand Prix. There was a lot of political wrangling around that race at the time due to supplies and agreements and money. And they also wanted to change a date. 
but they couldn't come to an agreement. It was actually run as a non-F1 championship race, which is quite interesting. Yeah, very. I mean, I, some of those I wasn't actually aware of, probably because I was only born in 1995. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. Much appreciated. Yeah, sorry, much, sorry. much appreciated. <laughs> I'm not gonna tell. I'm not gonna tell the listeners when I was born because it makes me sound really old. So that comes to the end of episode one of Racecast UK podcast. So we'd love to have any feedback. Um, just basically hit us up on the social medias and go to the website racecast.uk and let us know what you think. And we'll be back to episode or back with episode two next week. Thank you, everyone. Cheers.